You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. All right, welcome to Why We Do What We Do. I will be your host, Abraham. And I will be your co-host, Shane. So we partner in a recording crime together, and we are doing this in protest. Yaha! You know, sometimes that's like my favorite way to get back at people. It's just simple protest. That's right. Just quietly sit there, just staring. You can't make me. You can't make me do anything. That would be a really interesting way. Like, what would a podcast protest look like? Like, would it it just be dead air? (laughs) If we're the ones doing the protesting? Yeah. What what would we do? Well, we could we could chant. You know, we could. I mean, that would be be forty five minutes of us chanting like, "We want more vegan options." Heck no, we won't go. <laughs> yeah, let's, we have very PG protests yes, here we do. at the at the why we do what we do camp. Shame on you, whoever. <laughs> have you ever been to a protest? That's a really good question. I don't know that I have ever actually. I mean, going to some concerts has sort of felt like a protest, but it was a, <laughs> a pretty indirect one. Yeah, it's like bucking the norm. Yeah, I, I don't think that I have ever actually participated in a protest, and now I feel like I am missing out. It's a lot of fun. It's pretty intense, though. It's exhausting. Yeah. Have you d- you've done it then? Yeah. We when I was a kid, we used to go. I mean, there are a few different things that we would do, but we would go and attend protests, especially during the George W. Bush era, especially like when the war on Iraq and, and all that kind of came up. W came to town to speak at the local racetrack because that's the town that I live in. So he came to speak at the racetrack and we were outside protesting with a you know, pretty large, fairly large group. And uh, it really interesting, it, and this is actually part of what prompted the discussion, was that it was fairly dangerous because people were vehemently not thrilled that we were there and would throw stuff at us. And like, I mean, we almost got hit with like glass bottles and other projectiles that were thrown from the pickup trucks that were driving into the racetrack. It was a pretty wild day. It was a pretty wild day. So I've been to a few. I mean, we protested in Orlando a couple times where there were some neo-Nazi issues going on. And so we would protest out there too. And that was, of course, pretty dangerous given the context. So yeah, interesting stuff. I suppose my amount of protesting has always been more like cancel culture. (laughs) Yeah. As dangerous of a ground as that is to be on, which is essentially just that I would avoid or boycott things that I wanted to protest. And I wouldn't necessarily outwardly show up with a sign or anything it was just if this was a company i didn't like or a person i didn't like or a cause i didn't like then i wouldn't support it and i would support the direct opposition to that or i would find some other way of allocating my time and resources to sort of vote if you will quietly vote against things that i didn't like or for things that i did and i love the idea of protests personally yeah i think the One of the best things about the United States is that it is still a place that you can have protests and you're unlikely to be directly murdered by the government. It'll definitely happen, but less so in places where you have authoritarian, I guess, strictly authoritarian and outwardly authoritarian governments. I think that's something that we as uh, in, in the United States, we have this really cool benefit of being able to peacefully assemble and all that. I mean, there's kind of a, a little bit of an attack on that right now, right. which is kind of w- another thing that sparked this conversation. But if you're not familiar or you haven't picked this up yet, today's topic is on protests. And so that's what we wanted to do. We want to talk about protesting in general, give some examples of protests and kind of what's happened as a result of those protests, but also to talk about how to do it safely, because especially right now, tensions are pretty high. And the topics that are being protested or the situations that are being protested are incredibly charged, emotionally charged, and people are, are, are very vocal about it. And so you have the situation where a lot of highly emotional people in large groups can result in some pretty dangerous situations. So we wanted to kind of talk about that a little bit and why it's important and, and maybe some of the psychology around it and maybe some of the behavioral aspects behind it, but also just how to do it safely because you just never know what's going to happen when you show up at an event. You raise a really good point because I kind of like the idea of protesting, assembling peacefully, even if it's not necessarily a topic I agree with. The fact that you can do this, and it is a dangerous thing to do, even in a place where it is allowed. And so it's important to have a discussion about how can we look at this, I think both from the perspective of what's being accomplished, but also what can we do to ensure 
the safety of people who are participating in this, what I believe to be very culturally important and relevant activity. And again, like even if it's not a, an issue I, I agree with, I would support people's right and their ability to safely protest. And so that's what we're doing. We're taking a stand that you can protest and do so safely. Right. Exactly. And I think given the context and given the culture that we're in right now, there's a rise in awareness, a rise in an action towards social injustice. You're seeing this like huge social media culture, but you're seeing a lot of active protests going on and you're seeing this across the United States. And there's still this weird ongoing debate on how to do this appropriately. You know, you'll hear a lot of people say like, well, vandalism is wrong and you shouldn't vandalize stuff. And we're going to talk about some examples of how we did vandalize things and it worked in our favor. So you're going to kind of hear that discussion of there's right ways and wrong ways to protest. And we're not going to try to get into the right and wrong of it. We're just we're going to get more to like the safety of it, because apparently people are pretty upset about kneeling during the national anthem and how that's the wrong way to protest. But that's a whole rabbit hole that we don't need to get down right now. So that's what we're going to kind of focus on, not what's right and wrong, but just necessarily like the protest movements that have happened, what's been the result, how people protested, and then maybe some some ways to stay safe while you do it. Well, and you raise an important point that protesting can look a lot of different ways, and some of them are as simple as kneeling. I think there's flag burning is another one, or burning effigies or symbolic things is one. So maybe burning an image of somebody or drawing on it. And then there is ones where you are sort of blocking people from doing things, where you aren't physically changing or doing anything, but you're putting your body in the way of somebody else getting something accomplished. Think of those people who have chained themselves to trees to protest deforestation and that sort of thing is an example of this. So yeah, there's lots of different ways that it can look. And the general point is that the civil unrest is sometimes necessary to accelerate these important social issues and work toward change in the place that the culture exists that is in line with the people who are out there taking a stand. Right. And so let's talk a little bit about some of the historical events that have occurred where protest has been this really cool catalyst for change. It's been really well documented that these have been like important, pivotal moments in history. So this is this is pretty new, right? Last just few years or so. The first time anyone yeah. thought, of the, thought about this. Yeah, it's a fairly new topic. It's not well researched. It's like got a whole, you know, it's just it's we're, we're in uncharted territories, folks you might call it a hot topic. <laughs> yes it's gonna be really interesting i think one of my favorite things was like doing the research on this and going into like different protest movements and looking at like oh yeah i know that one. Oh, that's a new one i learned a new word as a result of this protest you know so so you'll see that in some of the examples that we talk about awesome so background time yeah let's do the background on this so protests or demonstrations you know whatever you want to call it they're not new despite our quips earlier, you know, and there are actually countless examples that you can find throughout history for a very, very long period of time. And so this is not a new thing. This is something that since, since society has existed pretty much that protests have been a thing that's occurred. And as you said, and we were describing earlier, this form of protest can look a lot of different ways. You can even categorize it in a lot of different ways. And this can be as small as individual protest actions, like the things that I was describing for myself, all the way to larger group demonstrations and you can maybe even make the argument that there were whole cultural movements that were a form of protest, like the Enlightenment period in Eurocentric people was a protest maybe against religious oligarchies mm -hmm. or just you know having a church state and the Dark Ages that followed <laughs> or proceeded. <laughs> as a protest against science and knowledge, maybe. And not that I think that the people who participated in those cultural moments would have thought about it or categorized it that way. But just saying that, like, this is a pretty broad definition that can be described a lot of different ways that I think broadly classifying it as motivation toward or away from some particular outcome or process, I think you could maybe generally categorize things that way as protests. Yeah, absolutely. So like one example that I always think of when I think of protest is the French Revolution. <laughs> this is whole thing, right? Like, you know, at the time, these protests were looking at breaking down a monarchy system that was occurring and helped establish a republic within the country. And that's a really nice way of looking at how that protest went. But a lot of people had their heads cut off during this time. Yeah, that was a brutal one. That, in my opinion, does not make protests look very good. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it's not a great place to start. We will get into some that make it look a little bit better. But this was an example of where people, there was a civil unrest. There were people that were vocal about it, and it just came to a head. It got to a place where it shouldn't have gone. Hopefully, protests do not have to get that far before social change does occur. But in this situation, it was one that kind of like maybe cross the line a little bit, but it is an example of protest that comes up quite a bit where the general public was actively protesting. They were actively demonstrating. They were actively involved in, in trying to get this change to occur and the system simply would not change. You know, looking at this list and I just realized and I want to point out to everybody, there are there have been so many examples of this across history, cultures, countries and things like that. The ones that we're describing here are largely European centric and American centric. And that's because that's sort of the culture that we we belong to. But there are a lot of really important protests that have happened in other cultures and other places around the world that are important to discuss as well and worth digging into. So don't take this, I guess, as a comprehensive list. So speaking of Americans, <laughs> there was the American <laughs> Revolution is also a protest against the British imperialists. We want no part of it. We, you can take your tea and stick it. <laughs> I love this example because when people talk about vandalism in relation to protest, this is the one that always comes up. The American Revolution and like the Boston Tea Party in particular, like people say, and you'll hear this argument about what's going on now. Vandalism doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense. But literally, there are a group of Americans that threw crates and crates and crates of tea into the harbor and destroyed property as a sign of protest. So it's kind of this weird example where it's like, you all remember the Boston Tea Party, right? They were trying to make an entire harbor the world's largest cup of tea. And they were going for English breakfast, which I thought was weird. Yeah, they succeeded, incidentally. <laughs> There's also the New York shirtwaist strike of 1909. This is the word that I learned was what shirtwaists were. So in 1909, there was a major labor strike that was led by Jewish women working in shirtwaist factories. And what a shirtwaist is, is it's a garment that was a dress that seemed to be too complicated to serve as a functional type of clothing, but it was this really complicated type of undergarment. And it basically what it was was a dress with sleeves and a collar. Now, these protests focused primarily on improving wages, improving work conditions, improving work hours. So it was kind of like a unionized strike from these types of clothing factories and these shirtwaist factories in New York. But it was a major movement, one, because it was a major labor strike in the United States, but two, it was one of the first female women-led strikes that occurred, one of these first female protests that occurred that, were, that was well-documented and actually resulted in major changes. Are shirtwaists still around? I don't think so. I okay. think that we've gone to the place where we wear just t-shirts and underwear. Okay. I was going to say, this seems like a very odd piece of clothing to me reading about it, but Another one. So, of course, there are many protests that happened, especially around things like women's rights around that similar time up and through definitely including the 20s and certainly some protests around prohibition and things. But the next, I think, really major one that is worth getting into, again, from this American point of view, is the civil rights movement. Of course, two major figures that you're going to think of there are Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X. And these are one of the most famous leaders of that movement. But we also want to acknowledge the contributions of the many people who participated in that, notably recently passed John Lewis, who was also a really important figure. And we want to acknowledge his contribution to the civil rights movement as well. Yeah. And I think in this movement in particular, one thing that's important to note is especially in the discussion of right and wrong or appropriate ways to protest versus not appropriate ways to protest. Martin Luther King and Malcolm X had very different views on how to approach this this movement. Yeah, very much so. And even though they were on the same quote unquote team, they still had these very different approaches. And, and there was no right or wrong way in that moment, except for just looking at how they were moving forward. And so I think that was one of the more interesting ones and kind of really gets into the complexity that is protests and movements and social movements and stuff like that, because everybody's going to have a perspective on how it should happen. Perfect. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And another one that I think maybe was a little less well known, but I think has gained some more attention in recent years was the Stonewall riots in 1969. And this is, I guess, essentially this happened around a bar. It was called the Stonewall Inn. It was it is famous for being a bar that was a safe place for people in the LGBTQIA plus community. And so this was focused primarily on moving the rights of the people of that community forward, especially after what had happened was there was a police raid on this bar. And for no other reason than it was home to a safe place for people who belong to the LGBTQIA plus community. And so, of course, they didn't have all those initials at the time, but 
or retrospectively, I guess, referring to them that way. Yeah. The police raided this bar. Uh, there was many protests that followed. And although the, the the raid was a catalyst, the protests were really to the advancement of equality and better treatment of LGBT rights. And I think one of the most important movements for the community that has ever happened in this country. Right. And so you'll see that kind of in these small, these like microcosms of communities and populations too, where like a group of people will have these major milestone moments. And we've kind of talked about the black community. We've talked about women's rights and stuff like that too, but there's also veterans in, in dealing with that too. And you saw a lot of protests happening along the Vietnam war and a lot of protests against the Vietnam war. These protests were taking place in the 60s and 70s and took a lot of different forms, like whether people were draft dodging, whether people were actively protesting, faking illness. I mean, Iggy Pop from the Stooges was almost drafted and he what he went into. I want to say he went in to get tested and just stripped naked and started masturbating in front of everybody. And that's how he got out of being drafted into Vietnam. So there were people that like those individual protests, there were larger protests, there were these large movements, but all kinds of different ways for people to stop the war, but also to get out of the war. So another one is zipping forward in time a little bit. The Tiananmen Square protests. This is another one where we are outside of America now, and this is one of the most famous of all time. And this was in 1989. And of course, there is one of the most iconic images ever. If you ever look up the Tiananmen Square protests, you'll be able to see this image of the square that's fairly zoomed out. And there is a tank moving down the street. And there's a man who is just standing in front of the tank. And he, I think, is carrying some grocery bags or something like that. But he Mm -hmm. is just standing in front of the tank to block it from its path. And these were student-led protests in China that focused on improving conditions related to freedoms in China. So, for example, There's a lot of control over things like the press. There was not free speech. There was no democracy. And so they were really trying to get free free press, free speech, trying to get democratic governing of some kind. This unfortunately resulted in a move toward martial law instead. And the government actually opened fire on the protesters. And so this this ended up up being very dangerous for protesters. and And a lot of people were killed as a result. And this was described, I think, as the Tiananmen Square Massacre. Mm-hmm. And looked back upon as an instance in which, like, this was, I mean, the protest itself, I think, was appropriate, but history does not look kindly upon the Chinese government's role in how they handled that protest. Yeah. And I think it's important, too, to note that just because there is a protest or a movement going on doesn't mean the change will occur. I mean, if you have somebody who is an authority and has enough power that can suppress it, or if the movement doesn't continue after some major event like this, then then sometimes these movements will die down and the change won't happen. So just because we're protesting doesn't mean that it, things are going to happen. It's A lot of it is going forward, continuing to go forward, continuing to fight the fight, finding new ways to fight that fight. I mean, that's that's a lot of the flexibility and kind of the nebulousness that is that goes along with protest is that it's not just a singular action. Speaking of which, and this isn't actually in our notes, but another one that I think is important to discuss and going back to the American centric view of this. So the the Tiananmen Square protest was in 1989. And right at that same time, there were protests going on in the United States that had been going on for some time to improve conditions for citizens with physical impairments. And this ended up including citizens with other mental health issues as well resulting in the Americans with Disabilities Act or ADA in 1990. So just a year later, there was that. But there was there was a lot of protests where you had people who were going to government buildings and in Washington, D.C., and you know they were out on the lawn, out in front of the buildings. They were trying to get secure rights for people with disabilities because treatment of people with various disabilities in this country has just been absolutely horrific. Yes. Especially up to that point. And that, that helped, and there's still room for improvement. Yes, yes, absolutely. We we have a long way to go. I mean, it has gotten better, but we have a long way to go with that. But I don't think anything's happened since then, right? No, no new changes or protests or anything. No, uh, no, nothing. No, that's the, that was the last one. Okay, perfect. <laughs> so we can move on. Okay, great. <laughs> no, obviously we're joking. The most recent one, I think, probably one that really brings this idea of protest and kind of uh, in, the, in really the discussion on how to appropriately protest. You see this a lot right now is the Black Lives Matter movement that's going on in 2020. In the current state of the world, I mean, while we're recording this, there are still protests going on. All you have to do is just look up what's going on in Portland. All you have to look up is a lot of the online movements that are going on with Breonna Taylor. There are a lot of things that are still happening in protest to the current system 
system that is identified as racially unjust, systematically racist, uh, systemically racist, I should say. And you have this current movement right now that we are in the middle of that I imagine will be going on for some time, but also will probably be pretty important in the next probably few decades to look at and look back on. Yes. So it's useful to point out where there are protests. There are usually counter protests of some sort. And so there are there are other types of protests that are going on in conjunction with this movement. But this is one that has definitely spanned quite a few countries, quite a few places around the world and received a lot of attention. And I think importantly so, especially for a group that has just been consistently marginalized in a lot of other countries. So to kind of follow up on that point, without these movements, without what's going on, without seeing these things happen in history, it's not likely that these rapid social changes that did occur as a result would have occurred in such a timely way. We're seeing this in real life action, right? So you see this with Black Lives Matter, where you see the protests started erupting and then the the cops that were responsible for George Floyd's death were arrested pretty quickly when the riots started occurring and started really ramping up. We can't really say what would have happened otherwise, but historically, it, it's likely that these cops probably wouldn't have been arrested as soon if they would have been arrested at all. So, And that's just one sliver of this entire movement. And you'll see that where without these movements, they're kind of a spark for change. And so it's important to note why these are important and, and note that you know sometimes it's necessary to get the movement going when maybe other lines of action weren't working. All right. I think it's time. This podcast episode was essentially intended to be a how-to podcast. And there was a lot to discuss there, and I'm really happy that we did because I think it's helpful to talk about. It's awesome and encouraging to hear people who are joining movements to stand up for what they believe in. I think all of that's great. And this has, as we mentioned, historically been very dangerous. A lot of people have lost their lives during protests or been seriously injured. A lot of damage has happened during protests. And although they do often affect change, sometimes things do get worse. So ultimately, what we want to, I think, describe here is how to do this in such a way that your safety is maximized. We don't want anybody getting hurt while exercising their right to stand up for a cause that's important. Right. So it's kind of like it's not I don't want to compare it to camping, but you have to kind of prepare yourself and set up so that you have supplies and set up that, you know, kind of the terrain when you walk into a situation. So what we did was we pulled a couple different resources. We pulled from self.com, but also from Amnesty International. And we're going to link the resources to this, too, because I think they're important resources. But basically what they're noting is that there are a lot of dangers that go along with protesting. Like you can't really control the police reaction or you can't really prepare for the idea that maybe accelerationists, which we'll talk talk about later might show up on the scene and actually spark some different challenges. So because you can't prepare for those things happening, what you can do is make sure that you are safe in how you prepare. So and again, what we're talking about here is in the context that we that we're probably going to reference a lot is what's going on right now in the United States with the Black Lives Matter movement and how dangerous that is to go to those protests sometimes, given that the police reaction might not be great or there might be some unruly protesters that are going to cause you a problem. So the first step that we would talk about here is that you want to go with a partner or a small group. Okay. That that goes back to elementary school and goes back to the idea of the buddy system. Yeah. It's harder for something to happen to you and have no one know where you are or what happened if you have a few people there who are looking out for you. So yeah, bring a friend, Mm -hmm. everybody, you know, have a leash around you so that you're all together. Just kidding. Don't do that. But essentially have your whereabouts be known and have some people there for support if you need it. Yeah. And to support them. Yeah, absolutely. Accountability, my friends. Yep. All right. Step two, dress comfortably and functionally. Do not wear your nicest suit to these protests. You want to wear something that's going to allow you to breathe, that you're not going to get too hot or too cold, that you have some amount of protection and has some flexibility to it. So, I mean, probably... A like ninja outfit is the most flexible thing you can be wearing. But, you know, again, you are dressing in a way that you are covered, not too hot, not too cold, but otherwise safe. Yeah. And something you can run in, too. Yes. And you'll probably want some pockets. Yes. Pockets are cool. So speaking of pockets, you want to bring additional supplies like an ID, emergency contact information, bring cash, bring snacks, bring water and bring enough water not to just drink because you might be out all day, but bring enough water to rinse if necessary in case there's tear gas or, or pepper spray or something like that. You want to bring an extra change of clothes. 
Bring a mask, goggles, first aid kit, medically necessary items. Like if you need an EpiPen or you have asthma and you have an inhaler, make sure you bring that. If you are on medication that you have to, that requires you to take it multiple times during the day, make sure you bring enough of a supply to get through that. But this is the kind of stuff you want to have enough to get through a day or two. Yes. And if you were to then have to be either detained or maybe even in hiding, having those supplies will be especially important. So yes, we'll review the list when we're done. I was going to do it now, but let's wait till we get to the end. Yeah. Another one is that most protests are going to have some kind of organizer or group of organizers and that they are sort of taking the lead on how that protest is going. And generally speaking, you want to follow the organizer's instructions, like unless they're actively leading you into harm. And like, that's pretty clear. They're actually really trying to protect everyone's safety. And so follow the organizer's instructions to help keep everything moving in a coordinated way. Right. Because you want to be careful with the idea that because we do have the right to a peaceful assembly. Right. But the minute that another agency or governing body determines that it's not peaceful or anything like that, that's when all hell breaks loose. And so that's where we kind of talk about this idea that you want to keep in mind that violence might be a possibility, even if you are on the side where it is peaceful protesting and you are doing these things, you have to be prepared that it could happen in emotionally charged situations. It might not be from you. It might not be from the the organizer. It may be from either like a counter protest situation or anti protest movements. You're seeing plenty of videos right now. One of my favorite videos right now, though, is this guy showed up in the middle of a Black Lives Matter movement protest and tried to light off fireworks to kind of incite riots within it. But the protesters stopped him, grabbed the fireworks and threw him back into his car when he tried to drive away and they blew up in his car. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, like mortars. Like it was like really intense. The car stopped. I mean, I'm sure the guy is fine, but it was a really intense thing. Like you see this car just kind of go like just smoke everywhere. So wow, just be be mindful of that. Like violence might happen. You may not even be part of the inciting incident. You may be just part of the group that's there. I mean, you see plenty of pictures of people who have been shot with rubber bullets. And now there's people who are blind in an eye because they got hit in the face with a rubber bullet and stuff. So you have to keep that's why the goggles are going to be cool. But also just keep that in mind as you're kind of going out there. Another one here is to, if you're injured or see any emergency, to find medical attention or a medic as soon as possible. Don't let those things just sort of linger and just assume that they're just a casualty of the protest. And I think the general recommendation here is look out for one another. I mean, really, that's one of the biggest things here. So seek medical attention if if needed and generally look out for one another, especially with respect to medical situations. Yeah, absolutely. And you also want to be mindful of dehydration or heat exhaustion. You know, in Florida, we kind of know to carry like jugs and jugs of water with us because it's so hot. But, uh, you know, people who are not used to being outside all day or being at events all day, it's really easy to dehydrate and it's really easy to suffer from heat stroke. So make sure that you are mindful of that and you take breaks as necessary. Cool. I wonder if it would be worth in that case bringing something like an umbrella or a hat or something like that where you can shade yourself from the elements if needed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. Another one that's important that I think probably gets missed a lot is that this is an intense activity that is very different from what you're normally going to be doing throughout your normal day, I assume, <laughs> yeah. most for most people. And so to be prepared that there's going to be a little bit of mental health fallout after an event like this where you are emotionally charged, you might experience some depression or anxiety or paranoia might be one. And so there's a lot of things that you might feel. So just know going into this that to try and prepare yourself mentally for the intensity and have some kind of support and decompression available for you after you're done with the protest so that you can, this isn't something that ends up really adversely impacting your overall well-being. I think part of preparing for your mental health in this situation too is also understanding that this is kind of a marathon situation and not necessarily a singular act. So like, you know, you go to a protest expecting movement towards an outcome and you may not see that movement right then. You may not see it in the next protest or the protest after that. So it's important to kind of prepare yourself and maybe reset your expectations as you walk into a protest that like, hey, we are here being active. This may not be the thing that fixes everything in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing, too, that's recommended, especially given the current state of the world and some of the challenges that are going on with the protest, is that you want to cop proof your phone temporarily, at least. And so that sounds kind of funny. It sounds kind of interesting. But like but there's a reason why we do this and there's a reason why protests might do this, because when you start recording video, when you start trying to capture those moments, there are people, unfortunately, that will want to destroy that equipment, destroy that video, destroy that evidence to kind of maybe 
create a narrative around a situation that didn't actually happen. So the first thing that's recommended, especially if you get detained, is to make sure that you your phone is pin or password enabled and not by facial recognition. Because if the person who's detaining you does not have your pin number or your password, they can't access what's in your phone. Right. But if they have your face, they can just hold your phone up to your face and then go into your phone. Yeah. And I just want to go back to something you said is that not only could they try and tamper with evidence that's on your phone, but also try and access a lot of personal information about you that you may not want them to access. And they might just ask you for your phone straight up. You are not obligated to give that to them or to unlock it for them, by the way. Yes. So we want to make sure that that's an important piece of information that is your private property. It is not something that they can confiscate and have access to your private information that is on that device. Right. All right. So during the event that you're protesting in, turn your phone on to airplane mode, primarily to prevent any specific tracking or geo-tracking that some apps on your phone might be doing. I mean, you could go through and I think turn off the geo-tracking that would on all of the apps and devices that you have that might help. But I think just putting it on airplane mode is a general safe way of avoiding being tracked. Yeah. And also make sure to create a data backup prior to the event, making sure that like whatever you record or whatever happens gets sent somewhere else so that it's not just on that device. Because if evidence does get destroyed, I mean, even by accident, if your phone gets destroyed, it gets stomped on, it gets thrown out somehow, like whatever might happen, you still want to have that backup or some kind of evidence or some kind of permanent product that this event did happen. And there is some kind of proof that it did. Yes. Another thing is there's a lot of facial recognition stuff out there. So you might consider painting your face and tangentially related to that because of the era of COVID-19 is actually wear face coverings, something that's pretty breathable, but definitely cover your, you know, wear a mask, cover your face. And that's both protection for people around you, for yourself, as well as it can prevent some of the facial recognition software. Right. There's another piece of recommendation that I'm going to throw out personally, which is do not go to a protest with the intention of inciting violence. Do not go there because you're planning to hurt somebody else. You might be planning to do some kind of property damage or symbolic destruction of something. I'm not going to weigh on, on in on that pro or con. I think that's beyond the scope of what we're discussing here, but like, do not go to protest if you're planning on hurting another human being. Just stay home, maybe seek professional counseling. Yeah. That is like a surefire way to put yourself in danger. So, well, and put other people that you're working with in danger oh, yeah. too. It undermines the movement. Yeah. It's creating a situation that you just don't want to be a part of and it won't do anybody any good. Perfect. To that point, if you are going to protest something, where the position you are taking is advocating against the well-being of other people, then I also would consider would recommend you consider not doing that. <laughs> yeah. And I think that gets tricky, like, because I, I don't want to say don't counter protest. There are plenty of things that I would happily counter protest that I see that happen in protests that I think that counter protesting can be very good. And there are there are protests that start that are things that I absolutely wouldn't support. And I just think, just consider, are you there because you're supporting a cause that is that for the betterment of other people, or are you there because you are supporting a cause that is very selfish against the recommendation of experts and is would result in the harm of other people? Yes. And so choose a cause that I think is worth protesting and is for the betterment of others is my thought on that. Yeah. And do no harm. Like be loud, be vocal, do what you need to do, but don't hurt anybody. Yeah. Period. There's some other things that Amnesty International includes that are not just the list of things. They, there are some like additional tips and tricks that they include. And we definitely want to go over those. We'll kind of go over these pretty quickly because we did cover some of these a little bit, but we're going to kind of go over them quickly in a way that will give you some additional insight on some challenges that protesters have experienced. Yeah. So we've got stories from the front lines on how to do this. So (laughs) let's start. We'll do with uh, some what to do, what not to do and what to bring. So I'll start with what to do first plan for essential needs. We described some of what that might entail earlier. Remain calm. I think is an important one as much as possible. Remain calm. If you get escalated, that's likely to escalate other people. And if they get escalated, you just have to try and fight through that and remain calm yourself. Be mindful of physical or mental degradation that might occur. This is an exhausting activity that can take a huge mental toll, especially when you see violence being done to others, to yourself or others around you. 
and then document and film where necessary. So try and get some kind of record or, you know, make sure that the narrative does not spin out of control and go into the hands of those people who are really at fault for creating a, a problem in the first place. Right. And instead, there's lots of evidence to support multiple viewpoints to get a clear picture of what went down. Yeah, absolutely. So to piggyback on that, there are some things that you don't want to do. And so two things I would start with is don't wear tinctures or any sort of lotions or anything that are oil based and don't wear contact lenses if you can help it, because both of those things can actually trap chemicals either onto your skin or in your eyes. And that will become a larger problem when you're seeking medical help or trying to rinse. Like you might have to actually take your contacts out to rinse, but then you can't take your contacts out because your hands are covered in tear gas or pepper spray. So Try to avoid tinctures that are oil-based. Try to avoid contact lenses, but also avoid wearing loose clothing or loose jewelry. Right now, I have really long hair, so I'd probably put my hair up and put it back like so that somebody couldn't grab my hair. But those are things that you want to avoid doing while you're there. Avoid that loose clothing. Avoid loose jewelry. That's actually why I took my plugs out. Oh, okay. I had a client almost rip my ears off because he got his fingers in the holes of my ears. Ugh. Okay. And partially, I think with the loose clothing, like it can get caught on stuff. It can be difficult to move in if it's too loose. So you want to, you know, some flexibility, but not that you're like wrapped in a blanket, basically trying to move. Yeah. All right. Stuff to bring. You want to bring a water bottle, particularly a water bottle with a squirt top is ideal. Control that flow. Also less likely to spill in case uh, the lid were to not be put on pro- appropriately. Bring some snacks. As we mentioned before, bring your ID, bring cash. Bring something to document the events that could include a watch, paper and pencil, etc. Maybe you're out there in the protests with an iPad and an Apple pencil and you're right, taking notes like <laughs> cool, I guess. Yeah, that works, I guess. Whatever works. Bring uh, menstrual pads in the event that you're arrested. You might not be able to change out a tampon. So just have you know some sanitation there for yourself. And then, as we mentioned, a first aid kit and wet wipes and tissues. You want to be able to wipe the tear gas out of your eyes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like if you get it off your skin, get it off your hands, all that stuff. Now there's a list of things of what to wear. We kind of mentioned not wearing loose clothing, but we also like to go to the, the other side, which is like what to do. And this is again from Amnesty International. They say to wear shadow resistant swim goggles, especially if you have a situation where like, let's say rubber bullets are being fired, it won't shatter into your eyeballs. So if you can avoid wearing glass that will shatter on your face, that would be awesome. An N95 face mask, especially today, that'll be helpful. Shoes that you can run in and clothes that covers your skin, like any clothing that covers your skin, like long sleeves. If you can, that's light enough so that you don't dehydrate or overheat, but it's going to protect you from the sun and protect you from pepper spray. They also recommend wearing a bandana to cover your nose and mouth, usually soaked in water, lemon juice or vinegar. That's going to help kind of avoid some of the and kind of like diminish the effects of some of the chemicals that do get sprayed. Make sure you have fresh clothing and make sure you're wearing a hat. And usually some kind of sun or chemical weapon protection is that's what we would wear a hat for is to kind of protect you from that stuff, too. Shane, have you ever been shot with tear gas or had to breathe in tear gas for any reason? I have not, but I've been shot with a paintball and that hurt enough that I don't want to be shot with anything. Paintballs, tear gas, same thing. Yeah, close enough. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) I've never been tear gas. I have experienced pepper spray. Actually, funny story. When when my brother was little, he accidentally found my dad's pepper spray and locked and had the trigger pulled with it and then locked the trigger in place. So basically emptied the canister into our house. And that stuff is horrific. Oh, my God. It's just so bad. (laughs) So anyway, if you do get tear gassed, here are some things that you can do or maybe prevent. There's some prevention and some reaction here. One. If you have a gas mask, go ahead and wear it. Both, it will help you against the tear gas and it will help protect your identity. So gas masks can be helpful. Two, stay calm. If you panic and you start breathing really heavily, you'll actually breathe in more of it, which is more irritating. So try and do your Zen. He described it on uh, Parks and Rec, I think, as Buddha on Quaaludes. Of yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you are as Zen and calm as you can be. If you do get hit with a tear gas, blow your nose, rinse your mouth, cough and spit. Try to avoid as much as possible any swallowing. You really want to try and get it out of your system as much as you can. If you are wearing contacts, try and have someone else remove them for you. You do not want to be deliberately putting tear gas into your eyes by using your hands that have some of that stuff on them into your eyes to pull them out. That's going to make it worse. So if you have someone who can help you, then try and have them help you. Use an eye flush that can help get it out of your eyes. And it's half liquid antacid and half water. And so you can use that to, to flush out tear gas in your eyes. Yeah. So go grab bottles of Pepto-Bismol. Yeah, just, exactly <laughs> right. That was one of the recommendations as I was reviewing it. They're like, like mix Pepto-Bismol in water and use that. Wow. Okay. 
It, it works. I thought you were kidding. So that's great. No, I've, <laughs> that's normally that sounds like something I would say to be trolling, but I was I promised you I wasn't this time. <laughs> Good to know. So the last thing that they want you to know too is to make sure you know your rights. And so this is going to be one of the more challenging things to recognize because every state, every country, every every place on the planet is going to have different a different set of rights that you can access. So we're going to focus on again the US centric specifically because this is where we're kind of orienting a lot of the discussion and so we want to kind of make sure that that point is really important when we get into this. The main thing is making sure you know your rights. Overall, knowing your rights wherever you are and the ones we'll talk about are are United States specific, but in countries where you have different laws, like knowing what those laws are is going to be helpful. Yes, absolutely. So in the United States, we have the freedom of expression in its assembly, and we have a protection of the right to freedom of assembly. So we can protest, we can do all that without dealing with the backlash or any sort of like legal penalties that go along with that. We have freedom from excessive use of force. So you should be able to go to a peaceful protest and not be exposed to excessive force. That That is a really important point. We do. We do. I know. I, I wonder I wonder if... Uh, I think they forgot about that one. Uh, yeah, it sounds like it sounds like nobody nobody's paying attention to that one. But you do have a right to freedom of excessive use of force. Freedom from. Yeah, freedom from. Let me be <laughs> sure you don't get to you don't get to excessively use force. Or have it used against you. Yeah, you have a freedom from being a target of it. You also have the right to medical assistance that is made available to you. So they can't withhold medical assistance just because you are protesting. You have freedom from arbitrary arrest and detention, which means they cannot just snatch you up. We wearing unmarked uniforms and throw you in an unmarked van and drive you to an undisclosed location for an indeter- undetermined period of time. That is illegal. It is against the constitution and the government cannot do it to you. At least in the United States. They should not be able to do it to you, yeah. but they're doing it for some reason. <laughs> yes. The, the laws say that they can't. Yes. At least. So there's a whole bunch of people that need to go back to law school. Or go for the first time. Or go at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or just read a law. Yeah. Read a constitution. <laughs> you also have, <laughs> uh, you have the right to complain. You absolutely can voice your opinion about things. That is something that is that is supposed to be guaranteed to you. And another one that I mentioned before is you have a right to privacy. You do not have to disclose information about yourself or private things because you also, incidentally, were you to be detained or arrested, you have the right to an attorney, and the attorney will tell you what kind of things it is safe to disclose and not. So honestly, like if all else fails, like you can just keep your mouth shut until you have an attorney there to help you because you will get an attorney in some capacity if you are being officially arrested. And if you are detained, you do not have to speak or give them any information. So just something to keep in mind is those are those are rights that are afforded to you, presumably. Yes. In the United States. Yes. Absolutely. I've seen videos of people who are exercising their rights in the face of pretty adverse situations and they are okay. You'll see this a lot with um, videos that are kind of criticizing ICE, as they should. And you'll see these situations where people will, the officers will try to detain somebody and the person will know their rights and actually shut them down right then and the people will not get detained and it's all okay. So it's important, really important to know your rights and to what degree you can exercise those rights to prevent some unnecessary arrests or, or unnecessary violence. Yeah. And another thing that's helpful in knowing your rights here is that just because you have those rights afforded to you does not mean that everybody who is on the authoritative side of those rights are going to necessarily respect those rights. But if you then escalate in that situation, then they can retroactively say that they had reason to use the the force and d- detention that they used. So I guess the going back to this recommendation of remain calm, because if you are exercising your rights and you're doing so under the conditions that you are being calm and peaceful, then you will be on the right side of that and you will win any litigation that might come out of that. Well, you'll probably win, I guess I can't guarantee that, but you'll be on the right side of that historical event because if, yeah, if you start going off the rails and start attacking them, then at that point the gloves are off and they will be able to claim anything. And so protect yourself by knowing your rights and standing up for your rights. You can vocalize your rights as, as Shane mentioned, and that can also help deescalate a situation. But if you escalate, then you might miss an opportunity to be on the right side of that situation. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So with all that being said, one thing we wanted to do is because, again, this is a psychology podcast. So we want. So what does this all have to do with behavior and psychology and all that? And so we want to take a little bit to dig into that. We won't spend too much time on it, but it is important to kind of know that there are psychological and behavioral aspects that go along with protesting because it is such a unique situation. So to kind of start this section, protesting is interesting because it calls for some kind of change. It calls for some kind of social justice, some kind of movement that doesn't necessarily happen right away. So people are engaging in these behaviors. And usually what we understand about behavior is that behavior will contact some kind of reward pretty quickly after a behavior occurs. With protests, there might be some other rewards that come along, but for the most part, the movement of the protest doesn't really change very quickly. It's usually a long process. The civil rights movement was years and years and years before any any movement happened. So there's not a lot of reward that's coming out of the protest behavior in that moment. So it becomes this unique phenomenon that we start investigating from that perspective. Like for example, when the protests are going on, Breonna Taylor's arresting officers have yet to be arrested and the protests are still occurring. We're talking about months and months and months of a behavior occurring without any sort of direct reward. And another example of this, too, is hunger strikes that can take a really long time. People who will protest by starving themselves and that that can last that can last quite a while. So that can be a, another situation where you don't see change happen right away. But just an example of what those situations can look like. Yep, exactly. So another aspect that I want to talk about, too, is this idea of social influence. Like you'll see other people kind of engaging in behaviors and you'll see this modeled behavior. And so when you're at a protest, you'll see some things happen and you hear people kind of talk about getting swept up into the moment. Right. Or they'll kind of go with the flow. And that's really great for peaceful protests because you'll see a lot of people modeling the same behavior we want to see. We We see a lot of people saying we're going to stand strong. We're going to engage with this particular behavior because it's safe and we're seeing that there's some movement in this moment, but it can also go horribly wrong. So for example, I mentioned accelerationists before. Some people who are part of counter protest movements will show up on the side of the protests, quote unquote, and they will start stuff. They'll actually like start breaking stuff. They'll start engaging in vandalism. They'll start turning that peaceful protest into something more violent. And people will follow suit. People will model that behavior because they're seeing it happen. And so that's really important to know that that's a, a phenomenon that exists is this idea that there's there's this model behavior that can occur and can turn a protest on its head really quickly. This sort of goes back to this idea of following the organizer of the protest, the people who are there sort of leading the protest, because they are very unlikely to accelerate that sort of thing. And as you mentioned, people might try and set it up so that protests get out of hand so that they can that will result in a police presence and retaliation and so if you happen to notice just that there's a random pile of small bricks by where you are protesting consider not grabbing one and and throwing it at the police you know yeah don't touch the bricks yeah it's <laughs> again like if you if you accelerate then they will too and a lot of people can get hurt in those situations so don't accelerate i think decelerate if you can yeah remain calm buddha on quaaludes (laughs) usually the things that we do the behaviors that we engage in tend to result in a pretty immediate outcome for us that's why we do a lot of the things that we do and so it's interesting to look at protests because they can be really delayed reward and and sort of ask the question so why do these continue to occur and maintain even though there doesn't seem to be a really the, the main payoff doesn't seem to be occurring well i think first of all that there are often little incremental things that happen that function as intermediate rewards that are like steps toward change. So there are lots of things that we do throughout our lives that are like they're symbolic of progress toward an award. So for example, we don't usually get paid every hour on the hour that we've completed work or a work task. We usually get paid once a month or you know every couple of weeks or something like that. And so we know how to measure our progress over the the course of time toward a particular outcome. Right. And I think a similar thing is going on here is that if you see a lot of people there, well, that represents people who are there to support a cause that you're there to support. So that's kind of its own reward. When you see that there is uh, a politician might come out and actually address a crowd or speak to it on the news, then that's another kind of little reward that can be, even if they aren't necessarily saying something that you want, you're getting a reaction and getting attention for the, the activity that you're engaging in is part of what you're trying to do. And so there are lots of little things that, I think are supporting those motions and the fact that we 
can extrapolate out beyond our current moment in time toward the, the larger goal and see the progress that's happening toward that, even though it's not the immediate payoff that we want. Absolutely. And I think that's kind of the point that I would make about the idea of grit, like, you know, behavior occurring in, in, in really adverse conditions, like these things that we do occurring in these situations that we're not seeing a lot of change or we're seeing these small changes that it's just enough, but it's still very difficult to get through. And so, you, you know, you have this situation where I'm going to keep engaging. I'm going to keep responding. I'm going to keep doing these things because it'll eventually pay off. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but someday, you know, and now you have this like this whole situation where you can really get into the idea of grit and human behavior. Cool. All right. Most of the research on protests comes from social psychology. So take with that what you will, I guess. The focus is on social impact and social psychology and the relationship between repression and oppression of protest behavior. So I think you could sort of retranslate this as thinking about it in terms of research on punishment and punishment-induced aggression. So looking at what happens when the reaction to these aversive contexts is you tend to see fighting back. And that's something that's been modeled in animal research, where if you were to shock an animal as a form of punishment, not only will they stop engaging in that behavior, but they might also attack another you or another nearby animal. And not even just using those punishments, but also withholding reinforcers, rewards, or outcomes can result in that similar aggression. So something, I think, useful to consider when looking at what's going on in these behaviors in these situations. I think that's probably my biggest takeaway from looking at all this is that you have to understand that there is a context in which this is occurring, right? I hear this a lot where people will say, and that goes back to the argument again on the right way or wrong way to protest. And this is probably my, my, my main take home point is that there's not a right way or wrong way to protest. It's important to take a second to understand the context in which the protest is occurring and all of the things that led up to the protest being necessary. So in the situation that we are in right now, there was a peaceful call for the arrests of the officers. There was a peaceful call for justice. There was all of that. There has been that for decades and it's not happening. So, you know, you have this football player who kneels during the national anthem and he's told that's not the right way to do it. And so then it elevates, it escalates, and it accelerates to a point where now it's louder. Now it's more people. Now it's now it's a real movement. And people are still saying it's the wrong way to do it. So you have the situation where no matter what this group of people was doing, it was wrong. So what's the right way? Because they've done it the right way and they didn't contact reinforcement. They didn't contact the reward. They were doing it the right way before. They were doing it peacefully before. They were doing it not as loudly before, and it wasn't working. So what's the right way? And I think that's a, a very difficult conversation to unpack. And I think that we kind of promised not to unpack that too much right now, <laughs> given that this was more of a how-to-do type of situation. But I think it's important when you start looking at protests to start kind of taking that perspective and looking at like what was done before to get to where we got now. Yes. And my main take-home, which I think we didn't state this explicitly, but an overarching summary of the topics that we discussed and thinking about why would people protest to begin with? And this is a very large, complex cultural thing. And this has to do with a lot of values and symbolic action that are wrapped up in some pretty sort of, I guess, complex emotions and thoughts and contexts because this isn't one thing. This is a complex mishmash of a lot of situations all coming together in just the right way where you can look at the motivations and there are a lot of motivations for people to participate in those protests. They might protest or they might engage because of a sense of solidarity. They might protest because they were asked to. They might show up because they were paid to. Can happen. Doesn't happen You know, probably that much, but it, it can happen. You can show up to a protest because you have a personal stake in that or you know somebody who does. You might just protest because you're bored and you have you know less to do. Yeah. The motivations can be very tremendously. And the what you are doing when you protest is so language-based and symbolic and culturally specific to the situation in which you're in that when just breaking it down in that way, you acknowledge that like a protest is really nothing more than changing your behavior in a way that's going to stand out uniquely and either get attention or alter what somebody's even capable of doing in a certain way. So for example, if a protest takes over several city blocks, then normal traffic and business can't happen in those city blocks. So that can be an effect. 
But a protest can be something that's also just things happening online. And all that's meant to happen there is get a lot of attention toward that thing because a lot of attention and participation from different people from various backgrounds can mean that actual change does happen. And so there's a lot of complex things that are happening in, in looking at this just at the level of what's the process. So I think that's one of my, my main take-home points is to think about like, how do we conceptualize this and why does it happen? And as we mentioned, this is largely a how-to protest. So in terms of this, be safe. And be safe means be prepared for a lot of different situations, know your rights, and protect yourself physically and mentally. And that's exactly what my main, my primary was going to end oh, up being. Sorry. Is like, just be Took safe. Took it away. No, no, you're good. I know. I'm glad that we both agree. Like, yeah. to me, that's the thing. It's like, when we come together, big things happen. So just be safe. If you're going to protest, be safe, please. And also, we support protests. Yeah, we support <laughs> Generally protests. Generally speaking, I suppose. Yeah, use your voice. Again, thinking about like protesting worthy causes, but I, that's kind of in the eye of the beholder. So I get that there certainly is not a blanket way of deciding what worthy means in that case. But yeah, that's why I sort of I rested it in the caveat earlier of whether this is for the better, betterment of others and the well-being of others or this is selfish and maybe for the well-being of a very small number or just against people that you don't like for some reason. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's a whole thing. So complex also doable. So just be safe. That's what you need to know to protest and how to do so safely. Now we have some recommendations. Recommendations. I have a recommendation for a book that I was using in grad school and it's called How to Write a Lot, W-R-I-T-E, right? By Paul Silva. It's short maybe 100 pages, maybe a little more than that. And it is some very well-founded, clever strategies for getting yourself to generate a lot of writing. Maybe you want to write your thesis or dissertation or your capstone project. Maybe you want to write an article to get published or you want to write an op-ed for something. Maybe you want to write a fiction book or, or a non-fiction book, whatever it is. These are the strategies for people who are prolific, effective writers. His strategies recommended in that book, I think, are very sound and really good. And this book is super funny. He is just a fantastic writer. He's really engaging and he's hilarious. And it's short, quick read. I probably would not have finished my thesis in the six months it took me to finish it from start to finish if it hadn't been for that book. So I strongly recommend it. I like it. For anybody who's writing, I, I love stuff like that. Like little like Stephen King's on writing is a good as a good one for like fiction writers. Oh, I've heard of that. I haven't actually picked it up, but that, that one sounds really interesting too. Yeah. It's like it's like his only nonfiction book, though. The rest of them are killer clowns and <laughs> fires and stuff. And turtles. Turtles all the way down. <laughs> turtles. So many turtles. Maturin. All right. So my recommendation is a show on Netflix that requires nothing of the viewer, but is just as enjoyable as as any other really great comedy. So if you're a fan of John Mulaney, he did this weird hour, hour and a half called John Le Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. Cool. Have you seen this? No, I haven't heard of this at all. So it's a children's musical comedy that was inspired by Sesame Street, The Electric Company, and The Great Space Coaster, and all those old, like, those old children's TV shows. Like, there's music in it. There's, like, this, it's this whole thing. Hmm. What's really great about it is that it's John Mulaney's humor. So it's done as a children's show, but there's like these funny little in jokes. Like the kids randomly call him dad. <laughs> like someone will be like, dad, what are you? Da, da, da. And he'll have these like guests, these guests that come on these guest cameos. So he had Richard kind. He had David Byrne from the talking heads. He had Natasha Leone and he has Jake Gyllenhaal do this big music number at the end, which is probably one of my favorite things that I've ever seen. He's this like down and out character named Mr. Music that shows up late and he's all disheveled. He's going through some really intense life stuff. Wow. So he's not prepared for his musical number. <laughs> okay. And so the whole thing is music is everywhere. But when he says music is everywhere, he does things like tapping a pen on a paperback book and it makes no sound and throwing a sweater into a hamper and it makes no sound. And he's like starting to panic as he goes through the song. <laughs> it's really great. So it just, it's, it's really subtle. The jokes are really subtle. It's really funny. Like what I think my favorite song on there is either music everywhere or grandma's new boyfriend. And it's just a lot of fun. And I think it's something that everybody needs right now, given the state of the world. That's awesome. So that's my recommendation. Awesome. I love it. Do you have anything else on protesting and protesting safely? Nope. Just be safe. Perfect. All right. Well, if you'd like to tell us about your protest or your protest tips or 
why not to protest or whatever you think about any of that or John Mulaney or your writing projects. We're happy to hear any of those and share them with our audience, I guess. If you'd like to support the show, you can head over to patreon.com and be a supporter. You can also leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to episodes. If you'd like to reach us, contact us on social media or email us info at www.wwdpodcast.com. And we are usually pretty attentive to responding to those things. So let us know. We like to hear from people. Yeah. Yeah. We legitimately do. Like we love, we love hearing from you. I think we're good. This is Abraham. And this is Shane. We are out. See ya. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.wwdpodcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.